Welcome to Space Floor NBA Podcast. My name is Connor Geelan. And I'm Connor Flannery. And this is our 111th official episode. The NBA trade deadline has come and gone. It is now February 10th, the day after all the madness, and we're here to break it all down. One of the more busy and more exciting trade deadlines in recent memory. Um, you know, not that the two of us have been seeing that many trade deadlines come and go in our in our young NBA fandoms, but what a trade deadline it was. And I think that there's no better place to start than with what really sort of set everything in motion um, this week. The implosion of the Brooklyn Nets, starting with oh, with Kyrie Irving requesting a trade out, resulting in him being traded to the Mavericks, along with Markeith Morris for Spencer Dimwitty, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 first-round pick, and two future seconds. Connor, give me your thoughts on that first before you get over to KD. It was so out of left field, uh, and just the the broader context of the Kevin Durant trade makes this look a little worse, because... I don't think that's a terrible return for Kyrie Irving, especially because the Nets didn't want to give him a massive extension. Uh, which when your I think hands are tied by the trade request, I think this is a fine return. I agree. Given that it was a trade request given, what, three days before the trade deadline? Two, and three? given that probably it was earlier this season that we were talking about whether Kyrie Irving would ever play basketball again, right? That in the <laughs> midst of like, him not getting vaccinated last year, his anti-Semitic remarks on not remarks, but reposting an anti-Semitic documentary on, on Instagram earlier this season. Like there are just so many locker room and, you know, personality questions about Kyrie that it's, I think it's remarkable that they were able that there was, that there was enough demand that there was enough of a bidding war around Kyrie that they even got this return. True. Uh, And I think that there were quality players that they got back. Spencer Dinwiddie, very good NBA player. Dorian Finney-Smith, every team in the NBA w- would love to have Dorian Finney-Smith on their roster sure. for his defense, for his three-point shooting. Uh, they also get a 2029 first-round pick back, which yeah. that's that's the most remarkable thing in my opinion because Kyrie Irving, his his next extension won't take him through 2029 if he signs an extension. Yeah, Luka Doncic... Sure, we we all picture him in a Dallas Mavericks uniform. We also pictured, you know, ten, ten dozens of dozens of NBA stars being in one uniform forever, and then suddenly they're not. So who knows what happens there? Because you know, this is this is six years from now, and yeah. a lot can happen in the NBA. It's a very fast moving league. And and along those lines, I think the the most interesting thing about this trade to me is like, okay, well, obviously. Just in terms of on the court production, this is a straight up upgrade over Spencer Dinwiddie at the at the point guard position for the Mavericks on offense. You lose some defense and you lose some depth because Dorian Finney Smith is this homegrown second round pick, maybe even undrafted. I forget off the top of my head, but guy who kind of came out of nowhere in the Dallas system became one of the better corner three point shooters and, and defensive specialists like the league has to offer. And as you said, somebody that everybody would w- love to have. And Spencer Dinwiddie, even though he's no elite defender himself is like six, six, you know? And so you're, you're losing some, some size and some defense um, and losing just like one rotation guy. They also get Markeith Morris here, but I doubt he really cracks the rotation that much to be honest with you. Um, so you're, you're, you're kind of doing a two for one swap here um, for one of the most talented offensive players in the history of basketball, but he's playing next to one of the most, ball dominant players in the history of basketball which has worked in the past for Kyrie Irving and I would not put it put it past him making it work again um this time but my problem here with this trade is like you're you're betting basically this is the kind of trade that you make to try to keep your superstar happy right this is the kind of trade that the Milwaukee Bucks pick up Drew Holiday to try to go win the championship and to try to keep Giannis there long term. If this is that move for the Mavericks, you're taking a huge risk that could totally make or break whether you have Luca resign his next contract as a Dallas Maverick and not request a trade at some point in the near future on Kyrie Irving, who's potentially the most unreliable like personality in basketball right now. You know, so that while I while I think the on-court product is going to be awesome and this is going to be one of the more unguardable offenses in the league just because you have two of the most lethal, talented offensive players ever on the same roster, like there's just so many question marks around it 
that you're you're taking a huge risk. One risk that I feel like people underappreciated was the fact that Kyrie Irving will be a unrestricted free agent this offseason, I believe. Um, if not next season, but I think this season. And so I think he already seems to be buying into the Dallas Mavericks. So I think he probably will resign. But that was like a huge factor of why, you know, an all NBA guy isn't getting a little bit more in addition to the off court stuff is because there isn't a guarantee that he will be on the Mavs roster next year. If there was, yeah. the ransom would have been a lot more, honestly. So I mean, that's part another of the reason that's they had to fact. trade him. Part of the reason that's had to trade him is because he was an unrestricted free agent this summer. You're right. And this is his player option year, I believe. And so it's like there, there is always a chance that Kyrie could just go walk this summer. And, and for as much as you know, like right now he's saying like, I'm happy I'm bought in. Like as of two weeks before he requested a trade, we thought that's how he was in Brooklyn. Like it seemed like it was him and his good old buddy, Kevin Durant. And like, here they go ramping up to be real championship contenders. And all of a sudden they're on, they're both in the Western conference. Like what a crazy turn of events in the last like week that, that these two guys are not like, you know, <laughs> on, on, on uh, yeah. I'm just like, the other side of the country right now playing for two other contenders now one last thing about the maps is they they're gonna be a top three offense in the nba i really think it will work just because luca is so good that the the plan is just double him and then recover yeah. once he makes a really good pass you like kind of can't do that now that's like a massive massive hole it's a yeah. massive problem that that other teams are going to have to deal with. The flip side of that is while they're going to score 130 points a game, they're going to give up 127 because yeah. Dorian Finney-Smith was far and away their best defender. Now in their starting lineup, Luka Doncic, Christian Wood, Tim Hardaway, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I've named a single guy that's better than like an okay defender. Like the, yeah. none of those guys are below average. Are, yeah, like decent defender would be like a pretty generous title yeah for all of them um yeah. i think a lot of people have been hyping up maxi kleber's uh defense recently so i actually don't know too much about his interior exterior defense so i'm a little bit excited about that reggie bullock is a solid defender but other than that man like are we are we going back to giving frank nilakina minutes <laughs> as we as nick stands we would love to see that yeah, I mean, I think Maxi Kleba is, a, is is an above average defender, but like he's no Rudy Gobert. He's not the kind of guy that makes up for you know the other four guys not holding their own. So th that's what I mean is like this this is the most fire powered offense you know other than maybe the Suns who are about to get to like probably in the league right now. But like I don't know how they stop anyone in in a regular season season game. Never mind like a four game series come playoff time. Um, Lots of lots of question marks here, but needless to say, like the Mavericks are going to be fun, and I'm excited to see what's what's to come. and And there are implications that are still to be seen out of this. So I think that you know, depending on what happens with Kyrie's free agency, whether Luca stays around, like I don't think this trade makes them, you know, the favor in the West, or even like one of the three favorites in the West. Give me the Suns, give me the Warriors, give me the Nuggets, like over them right now, right? Uh... So like. I don't know, man. I don't know. The Mavericks look so, like a more impressive team than the Warriors. And I, that's coming it's, from it's the Warriors. Separation. It's the Warriors. You know, one of my one of my friends recently showed me I, I like wrote a little article about why the Warriors weren't going to win the West last year and laughed in my face as he as he like read the first sentence <laughs> out loud to me. So I'm going to withhold my judgment of the Warriors and, and just trust that come playoff time, they're going to be a real threat once again. That's but funny. Let's jump over to the Suns. Um, so Kevin Durant, TJ Warren headed to Phoenix for Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, who was later moved to the Bucks, um, four unprotected first round picks and a 2028 pick swap. Crazy package. Bro, I was literally, I was about to drift off to sleep. I was all cozy yeah. in my bed. I was just, you know, getting ready. To go off to go dream of, of the New York Knicks winning a championship. Uh, and <laughs> then I just get a, a little alert. I'm like, oh, let me just see what this is. And then I just like immediately bolt up. I mean, yeah. I'm like, holy shit. I, I call my friend. My roommate walks in. I'm like, Jeremy, oh my goodness. Look what happened. He's like, no way, no way. So I got to see like a bunch yeah. of different people's reactions to this. 
oh my god like that's that's so psychotic to just like at 1 a.m just just whip out a, a a trade of this magnitude and the way that it had been talked about throughout the league was that the nets traded for two win now guys and they were just gonna have a bunch of very good role players around kevin durant and then 100 that's that how i thought it was gonna go I didn't think Kyrie or sorry, I didn't think I thought after the Kyrie trade, Katie was not getting moved at this deadline. And and Zach Lowe has since reported that like Katie was talking to Joe Sai and Sean Marks and like he was interested in Pascal Siakam. He was like seeing if they could go make a move for Pascal because like that was the you know sort of guy he saw himself fitting with, like that that was available. Like there was a real moment there where it seemed like that was gonna be the sort of like the Nets were gonna make more like buy now moves to try to set up KD with a team that could still go contend. And honestly, like I wouldn't have picked them to come out of the East by any means, but a team of Dorian Finney Smith and Spencer Dimwitty and Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, uh, you know, Nick Claxton, Kevin Durant. And then, you know, like if they go consolidate some of these pieces to go try to put together a Pascal Siakam trade or something like that, like that's a real, that's a legit team. I will say I, I, I was convinced that as Cam Thomas was dropping 40 points a night yeah. for for a week i was like man trade this dude now like trade this man will never have a higher trade value than right now cam thomas, so just like you yeah. can't i was like man flip cam thomas and and like i don't know three seconds for for fred van vliet that would have been dope. dude like is this cam thomas's team now like are we about to get a full season of this <laughs> like it's not ben simmons's team like i don't know but it the the one thing I'll say is like going back to the last trade, like it does make that trade return. Like I, I think you kind of got to scratch your head and be like, do we really need Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dimwitty now that Katie's gone? Like you've got now like an amalgamation of like good role players that like great role should, players, yeah, that should be on a championship yeah. team. The problem is that the Nets are now here with all of these guys. Like they're probably one through ten are all guys that you know like pick any contender they'd be like great yeah give me that guy yeah, yeah. But they just don't have anybody who's gonna like you know take over and be the star i mean arguably that guy in this trade is mikhail bridges and he's the closest thing but he's never made an all-star team um I, no. if you've listened to this podcast for a while you know i've got a soft spot for my villanova guys and we'll get to josh hart being moved too but like mikhail bridges is not that and this and this Nets team will probably still make the playoffs because even if they just sort of kind of coast or a little bit below five hundred, the East like while like pretty strong, like they're at the five seed right now. I don't know that like another another one of the teams that's behind them is going to come like roaring back. You know what I'm saying? Like they might drop a couple seeds, but they'll probably still make the playoffs. Yeah. So I it, yeah, it's just really odd to me. It's upsetting that we're not going to see like Mikhail Bridges, Seth Curry. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finnis-Smith, Cam Johnson, Patty Mills, Royce O'Neal. Those are all like terrific role players. We're not going to see them play very meaningful basketball, assuming that they just get bounced in round one, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, again, they're so they're such good role players. And I was like, man, if you can consolidate these assets for a superstar, I'm like, oh, like Kevin Durant. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's 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 unfortunate that the Nets dealt KD like this because they could have got like better offers if they waited for the offseason in this past offseason we were talking about Scotty Barnes uh Jalen Brown those are the all NBA future guys as opposed to Mikhail Bridges who's the best role player in the NBA by far in my opinion <laughs> but he's not you know, he's not making he's all not star. NBA second teams. Sure. What a couple of interesting things I'll, I'll add to this, though, is if you listen, Zach Lowe also, you know, he also just reported basically that he heard that the Nets were offered after getting Mikel Bridges as many as three or four unprotected first round picks by teams trying to go get Mikel Bridges. So there's an alternate world in which the Nets could have also flipped Mikel Bridges after this trade and stocked up on even more picks. The thing about that though, that I'll add is like, you already got your four first round picks. I'm going to talk about those more in one second, but I mean, the nets don't have their own first round picks. So the thing yes. here is like, there's no reason for the nets to go out there and be bottom feeders. 
Like they're Very not true. in the they're not in the Wemby sweepstakes. Like they're already in playoff contention right now. They're the five seed. Like there's no reason they shouldn't go out there and try to be a solid team because the Rockets right now, because of the James Harden trade, have all of the Nets foreseeable like first round picks. There's there's no benefit in being exactly. anything less than the best team you can be right now. So to me, we don't know right now necessarily, at least I don't, because I'm not an insider. I'm no woge, like who the guys <laughs> that are going to be available this offseason are going to be. But this could be a second half of the season, you know, kind of like you, they had their D'Angelo Russell year before Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant came to the Nets, where you put together a second half of the season where Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Cam Thomas, like all the Spencer Dimley, all these role guys like do their thing and like look like a legit team that at least is like kind of keeping pace, keeping themselves in the playoffs and like having a good time, like all of a sudden that becomes a very attractive destination for a star in free agency or, or via trade or something. So to me, like that's the Nets have put themselves in a pretty good spot where you can coast for the rest of this year. You're still in New York city and you have now four unprotected future first round picks going all the way into 2029 because of the type and role where you can't trade your picks in back to back years. The issue is that it's not like, yeah, they can be bad next year. They can be bad the year after that. The Houston Rockets are the biggest winner of the trade deadline while making one or two smaller trades because they have every single first-round pick or first-round swap with the Brooklyn Nets through 2027, dating back to the James Harden trade, which feels like millennia ago. Yeah, unbelievable. But And that's why, you know, as we look ahead, I think I think people are buzzing right now about how exciting this is for the Suns, right? Um, and it instantly makes them, you know, if not the favorite, one of the three favorites. I might still pick, I probably would still pick the Celtics and arguably the Bucks over them as the championship favorites. Um, but certainly it puts them in the very top tier of championship favorites and that upper echelon because Kevin Durant is arguably the greatest player in the world right now, joining a team that was, you know, already a championship contender this season. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Quick. Yeah, quick discussion before we move on to the rest of the trade deadline. I was thinking about this. Is is Kevin Durant the best player in history to get traded? Was that the best movement of a player? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Did he get traded though? I think he I think he signed in free agency. You might be right. I think he For did. For some reason I, I think, thought that I could be wrong. I think this is the single best player to be moved via trade in the history of the league because it's a top 10 player all time. You can debate. He's hovering at 10, maybe higher. It in was, his... it was Kareem. Kareem, oh, Kareem was traded. got traded. Okay. I, that's what so I thought. I would probably, I would probably say Kareem certainly up there. Like it, and then, it rose. It hasn't happened since 1975, you know, like, yeah, he, yeah. He, he has to be number two then because he's a top 10 guy in his prime getting moved. We haven't seen anything like this. Yeah. We have it. Unbelievable. But so the one that's a great point. And the thing I'll add to it, though, is I sort of started to mention this with with the Mavericks is like when you make a trade like this, that is sort of all in like putting your chips on the table for for the math. It's less so sacrificing future first round picks than just the future of whether they keep Luca or not. For the Suns here, it's it's your entire future of draft assets like you're betting it all basically to me on winning a championship like this season or next season, because Chris Paul is 37. Kevin Durant is 34. I don't think you have a third year left in the tank where those two guys are playing as, you know, your what you think of right now, when you think of Chris Paul and Kevin Durant, um, I expect Kevin Durant to have more years left in the tank than Chris Paul. So I guess I'm mostly talking about Chris Paul here, but even Kevin Durant doesn't have five years being one of the best players in the world. He probably has two or three. Um, This has a potential by 2029 to look like one of those trades. That's like one of the worst ever. (laughs) If they don't win a championship and if this whole thing falls apart, the way that the Brooklyn Nets have this past couple of years, like that has the potential to be one of the worst trades ever. Um, because you might have 2025, 2027, 2029, where the Suns are like in the toilet and the Nets have all of their picks. So like 
as much as I'm excited, as much as I'm thrilled that Kevin Durant is a part of the Suns and they have a chance to go win the championship this year, if that doesn't happen, oh man, like that's that's gonna be that's gonna be tough. Um, so that's just the one thing I'll add is like once again, like when you make a trade of this size, as exciting as it is, like there is huge risk both ways. Huge risk, but just to see Kevin Durant in that Phoenix Suns uniform. Yeah. is something surreal because now when, when we think back on one of the 10 best players to ever pick up a basketball we're picturing him in a sun's jersey just like we're picturing him in a warrior's jersey or a nets jersey or a thunder jersey yeah so that's crazy for the rest of our lives and to be clear like i think if you're the suns you probably have to make this trade like you don't have to i guess but but you probably should like when you have the when you have the chance to go get arguably the best player in the world and to go win a championship like that's what it's all about all i'm saying is like if this team falls apart the way that some past Kevin Durant teams have, it could be it could be not so good for a long time from now. Agreed. So in response to the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving moves that have the Suns and Mavericks bolstering their offense, a lot of the West teams have been retooling themselves. The Los Angeles Lakers look like a completely different roster than when they did you know, two nights prior when every camera in the world was <laughs> zoomed in on them and LeBron James and every famous person alive was in crypto.com arena. Probably replaced three of their starters in one trade. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's start with that, um, which is the Lakers get D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. The Timberwolves get Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker in three seconds. And the Jazz get Russell Westbrook, who will likely be bought out. Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Jones, and the Lakers 2027 first. So Lakers, as I said, got arguably three starters next to LeBron and Anthony Davis, all while trading only one of the two first round picks they had available at this deadline. Um, I, I know there was some there was some sort of buzz. I don't know Zach Lowe, I've mentioned him a lot, but um, he's a good source on, on everything NBA trade deadline if you need a podcast after this one to go check out. Um, he has said for a while that he thinks it would be a mistake for the Lakers to take the half measure of trading only one of these two first round picks that either you should keep both and then you like still have your future intact. Or if you're going to like start selling out on your future, you might as well go all the way. And while I agree with that idea in theory, I think that they've found actually a pretty good middle ground here where they've turned themselves because right now they're not even a playoff team into comfortably a playoff team. If, if, if health provides, um, and hopefully can even like make it out of the first round with this roster. Um, the th- that seems very the- reasonable to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it, it, it will largely just depend on what version of Anthony Davis do we get. And I don't think it's really worth talking about on this podcast, to be honest, because let's just wait and see. And like, who are we to predict that? Um, but the, 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 the three players that are acquiring here, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. First of all, let's start with D'Angelo Russell. Um, Give me, give me your thoughts on just like how he fits the replacement for Russell Westbrook at the starting point guard position. Honestly, at first, I was a little like it was being hyped up because I think the casual NBA fan and or uh, the ESPN Instagram account was like, D'Angelo Russell back in the purple and gold. Oh my gosh. Because he's like, people think that he's better than he is in terms of, you know, he is cool and stylish and he plays really smooth uh and his offensive game is really pretty meanwhile like he's not a great defender uh and his efficiency was actually pretty bad for the first half of the year but when i researched it a little more he's actually been incredible for the past month and a half like he's shooting the hell out of the ball Mm -hmm. he's shooting like 39 percent from three on the year after starting out like in the low 30s high 20s so he's just been He's he's had a flamethrower. So given that, I think this is a good fit for the Lakers. The defense will not be great given that they got rid of Pat Beverly as well. But I think that because DeAndre Russell now can shoot the three, I think that's going to be really massive. And it's a guy who can run the offense that like Russell Westbrook sort of could, but like I feel like he's D'Lo is a little bit more of a skilled pick and roll guy, especially with Anthony Davis. That's pretty exciting. Uh, so I'm I'm in the pro column. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that he's like a more skilled playmaker than Russell Westbrook is. Um, I think the thing that you add here is mostly just like the ability to catch and shoot off of LeBron, which is just very important. Um, 
I think there was just a lot of times where I'd be watching the Lakers and either Russell Westbrook would like be left wide open and not take it, or even worse, he would be wide open and he would take it. And I would just sort of be like face palming, like, damn, dude. Um, <laughs> and so, like, th- th- that's the thing to me here mostly is just that I think you just have like better shooting around LeBron and he's the kind of point guard that will fit well next to LeBron as long as he defaults. And okay, like, he's a six assists per game. Um, guy and and then like you know but i think russell westbrook while he still has a lot of playmaking prowess maybe the thing is you just like don't necessarily trust him with the ball in his hand and he isn't as willing to default to lebron i don't think we're going to run the problem here where d'angelo russell is going to like want to be like bulldozed into the basket and like not willing to just like hand it over to lebron when he needs to and i think that's the sort of overarching thing here is he comes look with less of an ego and more of a jumper um, and so it's it's a more of a seamless fit, I think, that will sort of just like blend in to what the way that LeBron wants to play. Yeah, but I, I don't want to bash like Westbrook's ego. I, I it really b- bugs me when you know a player isn't playing well and then he gets demonized. Like yeah, you, you can I mean, say that you know sometimes you know he takes shots he shouldn't. That's different than like having an ego. Generally, yeah, by all right. accounts, he's like a pretty awesome person. Uh, and I know his wife. Uh, recently said something on social media about how, um, you know, my husband's an amazing person. Uh, you know, my my child is you know getting bullied at school because of kids are repeating the things that you know ESPN or Sports Center says online. I think that was great that she said that. Um, yeah, because that that should never be what any NBA fandom is about. It's certainly not what Space the Floor is about as well. Um, not that Absolutely not that you true. said anything. I I just took. I yeah. just want to take the time to say that. You're right. I appreciate you taking a pause on that because because you're right i by ego i don't necessarily mean anything related to his personality all i'm all i mean is just that when you play as next to lebron like you immediately have to become the second option in the second or like the second option with in terms of like um how much the ball is in your hands and how much the team is like really yours to control um by like a huge margin like there's no 1A, 1B, like it's LeBron and everyone else. Um, yeah. And part of what comes with that is being willing to like go set screens and to make cuts and to like, you know, just just be a part of like an overall system that is something much bigger than yourself. And I think that Russell Westbrook, while incredibly talented, is not the best fit in a system that relies on a very unselfish style of play that doesn't require the ball in your hands and like just sort of like head down tunnel vision at the basket at times or committing to not taking like pull up mid ranges. Like I don't, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but I think that he's demonstrated over the last you know season or so, like sort of an unwillingness to just sort of buy into the kinds of little things that make a team around LeBron go. Um, and maybe it's not an unwillingness so much as like it's just not how he was taught and how he wants to play. And like, I, I'm not sure what it is, but I do think that D'Angelo Russell is probably more likely to be exactly the kind of point guard that LeBron needs. Um, even if in the grand scheme of things, he's probably not as talented as Russell Westbrook is for as much hate as Russell Westbrook gets. Yeah. And, and the other two components that the, Lakers got back are Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, who were originally teammates with D'Angelo Russell just last season, but uh, they were traded to the Utah Jazz in the Rudy Gobert trade. So uh, with those, I feel like, you know, the the talking heads of the of the of the NBA media world are kind of overlooking them, especially yeah. Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, Malik Beasley is a very good scorer. Um, you know, he, he can shoot the hell out of the ball. Uh, and I think he's a pretty solid defender as well. If I'm, if I'm not mis, if I'm not mistaken, and Jared Vanderbilt is like every NBA nerd's dream. Not in terms of the, the <laughs> like shooting or efficiency, just in terms of like you know the gritty plays, good defender, really long arms, uh, you know, good rebounder, will crash the glass, uh, and is you know knows how to find his spots and like the dunker spots and on the short roll. Um, so I think that's going to be, you know, massive, and I'm. I cringe every time uh, that he gets overlooked when people are discussing D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. 
But I think he's going to be great for the Lakers, especially come playoff time when they're going to need to guard the Kevin Durant's of the world, the Kawhi's Leonard's of the world, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And uh, yeah, I, I really like the defensive versatility and motor that comes with Jared Vanderbilt. I think that's something that will kind of light a fire under some of his teammates. Um, but yeah, going back to Malik Beasley for one second, like you said, he can shoot, shoot the heck out of the ball. Like just to reemphasize that, one of the things the Lakers have been lacking all season is shooting. And like I said, I think D'Angelo Russell helps that. But Malik Beasley helps that even more because he's a he shoots a lower percentage. He shoots just under 36% this season. But he's getting up almost nine attempts per game. And it was like eight last year. That's just that's exactly what you need. It's just a guy who like every time he touches it behind the arc, it's going up. Like, you know, like that's <laughs> the the Lakers were missing. Um we're just missing after after losing Malik Monk this year and after, you know, trading for Westbrook instead of like a buddy healed um, the season before. Like, this is the kind of player that I think they really needed to help fill out the rotation. And they got one of him and one of the sort of like defensive wings in Jared Vanderbilt that that kind of every championship team needs is sort of like a tools tools guys. Um, so overall, like I really like the way that this helps the rotation. And I said three potential starters you know, maybe Jerry Vanderbilt next to Anthony Davis at the, at the four. Um, it's unclear to me, like, whether they're going to bring Malik Beasley off the bench or not. I think he could be a really good spark plug off the bench as, like, a score when some of these other guys are are off the court. Um, and maybe you keep Austin Reeves starting. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be it's going to be an upgrade for them regardless. Yeah, and just to quickly touch on the Timberwolves and Jazz, I think the yeah. Jazz did not get enough back for what they gave up in two quality, quality role players that yeah. three, they gave up, uh, they gave up Mike Conley too. That's ridiculous. Uh, they gave up three quality role players that every team would love. And they really just got back the Lakers 2027 pick. Uh, if they do buy out Russell Westbrook, if they don't, then, you know, that's fine as well. Uh, and then the Timberwolves, um, they, they, I feel like they had no intention of re-signing D'Angelo Russell this offseason, who will be a free agent. And so that's why they did this. So I can understand it from their perspective, getting three seconds. Nikki Alexander-Walker's fine. Um, Mike Conley, I feel like, fits in fairly well as well, um, swapping one lefty point guard for another. Um, I, I would I like agree. to talk I, about... Uh, oh, yeah, you, you go ahead. I was going to say, I, I agree with you about the Jazz, you know, only getting one of the two Lakers picks that were available it surprised me for the, for the, like, for what they gave up. Um, and I'm also a little bit puzzled about why the Timberwolves gave up D'Angelo Russell for Mike Conley. Cause that's pretty much their swap here. Um, to me, it's, it's just Mike Conley's an older, probably more reliable, but older version of D'Angelo Russell, who's having the best shooting stretch of his career, as you alluded to, I'm not sure why right now they're low on him and trying to sell. Um, Maybe those kinds of reasons will become more clear in the next in the coming months, like with the Lakers. But but to me, it sort of seems like for a team that overall is like pretty pretty young, um, D'Angelo Russell fits the timeline a little bit better than Mike Conley does. Um, I don't know. You tell me. But hmm. Mike Conley is for sure a steady hand and a vet that for a team that needs to try to win games and make a push to not make the Rudy Gobert trade look like a look like the disaster that realistically it probably was. <laughs> I guess it makes sense, but yeah. I'm I'm a little, I'm a little bit confused why that swap. Uh and let's just talk a little quickly about the other moves that the Lakers made. Uh Thomas Bryant sought a, a more steady uh location given that Anthony Davis was taking more and more of his minutes. Uh, so they traded him to play behind the reigning MVP center uh, in Denver, which was a little weird. Yeah, um, they didn't get that much back for him either. So that was a little bit of a weird scenario, given that Thomas Bryant has had very good moments for the Lakers this year in Anthony Davis's absence. Uh, and then they replace him with Mo Bamba of the Orlando Magic uh, when they gave up Patrick Beverly. Uh, which I, I think was a fine move. I was honestly very surprised the Lakers got rid of Patrick Beverly because I feel like um, he bought in like he does everywhere. And I feel like he he was kind of a motor on a team that really needed a motor. Um, but Mo Bamba is going to be a great backup big man for them. Uh, they got some more guard play with D'Angelo Russell. So 
they could have probably made this move and they did. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like I, I don't know if I'm missing something, but it's a Patrick Beverly for Mobile on the swap, and the Magic are just going to buy out Patrick Beverly. So it's just they took like the is, is, like is that salary. an official report that they're going to buy out Patrick Beverly? I think it's rumored. Like I don't know. I don't think it's like anything's officially happened yet. I mean, the same way that like we're expecting Russell Westbrook to be bought out, but it hasn't actually happened yet. Um, uh, if I'm the Magic, I would love to keep Patrick Beverly around. Just like trying to, because when you when you're rebuilding a team with a bunch of young guys and you're losing a bunch of games, you have a bunch of you know 22 year olds who, after spending the first 18 years of their life being the best player on every court that they've been on, all of a sudden they're getting pounded by 15 points every game. So trying to develop a winning culture in a locker room really matters to a young rebuilding team, and so that's why I think. Patrick Beverly would be great for them. So I hope they don't buy him out. Um, I kind of don't think they will unless that is in fact a report that's happening. Um, yeah, I, I don't. They, I, they also I, weren't they weren't going to re-sign Mo Bamba because they just have a log jam in, in the front court. Yeah. But so I, I figured they would get something. But that doesn't make sense if if they're going to buy him out. Exactly. I'm surprised they didn't even get like a second or something for Mobamba. That was my only sort of like qualm with this trade is like that's the sixth overall pick in 2018. And I'm. I don't think people are like that high on him around the league at this point. I mean, clearly not if this is market value, but I thought it was higher than basically zero. If you're just going to buy Pepev out, if not, then maybe like the, maybe that's about right. But um, yeah, I, the one I don't have a specific report to mention on on Patrick Beverly. I just know um, I, I I saw something about like him potentially going back to Minnesota um, if there were a buyout. Um, and would like that. That, that, that he was excited about a potential reunion there and that um, Jake Fisher, who uh, is a former former guest of the pod, um, tweeted out something along the lines of just like the buyout market is going to be really deep this year. Um, and we'll, we'll, we can talk more about that as we get some of the trades. But, um, you know, those names will include like Westbrook, John Wall, Pat Bev. I think somebody said Terrence Ross. Um, so. There are some guys, yeah, that I think it'll be a deeper buyout market than usual, also. Um, but yeah, let's keep moving down the, the sort of the teams in the West that have joined the arms race, along with the Lakers, along with uh, the Suns, the Mavericks. Um, the Blazers are one that, that I know that, that you probably have some thoughts on um, because they sort of started to retool, but it's a little bit unclear, like, were they buying? Were they selling? It sort of seems like they just sort of exchanged wings. What are your thoughts? They they did sort of swap a bunch of their guys. You know, they they trade away Gary Payton II, who's a tremendous defender at the guard position, uh, but he has some health issues. But then at the same time, you know, they get back Matisse Thibel, who is another guy who's a beast defensively, but, you know, can't really do that much offensively. Same thing goes with they bring in Cam Reddish, a, a nice wing uh, that can do a little bit of everything, maybe not getting enough opportunities on our New York Knicks. Mm-hmm. But then they ship out Josh Hart, who's a tremendous role player as well. My guess is that the the Hart for Reddish thing was uh, Josh Hart has a player option this summer, and they were thinking that he might decline it. He's currently making $12 million a year. I don't know if you get more than that on the open market but he might, or he might just, you know, leave. And so they either didn't want to pay him more or they thought they might lose him, uh, which as a Knicks fan, I I hope we don't lose him because he's a great role player. And, you know, they get, they get a protected 2023 pick from the Knicks. Um, They get Cam Reddish. They get Villanova's own Ryan Archie Diakno, (laughs) which is sad because I, I, you know, I would love to have had the Ryan Archie Diakono, Josh Hart, and Jalen Brunson trio yeah. on the New York Knicks, who are all members of that 2016 Villanova title team. Um, that would have been cool. But and Mikael that, Bridge would have been in New York too. Yeah, in yeah, Brooklyn. Mikhail. But he tweeted out yeah. something about getting dinner with Josh Hart yeah. and Jalen Brunson, which was sweet. Yeah, yeah. I would expect, based off of that alone, to be honest, uh, Josh Hart to just like keep his player option with the Knicks and and <laughs> keep that thing going, or if he doesn't except the player option and then to like resign some kind of extension. Um, yeah. To me, I'm sort of with you on like, it seems like 
I, I'm just a little bit confused what the what the Blazers are doing here because in general, I'm sort of of the belief that like, and it's easy for me to say when I don't have an owner kind of hounding me to like make money and put butts in seats, right? Um, but I'm sort of a believer of like, if the ultimate goal is to win a championship, you should either be putting yourself in contention or setting yourself up with draft capital and, and young cores to like get there at some point. Um, and right now it feels like the Blazers are doing neither and they're sort of stuck in a zone of mediocrity where they're not willing to sell on the like Anthony Simons kind of young talent to go make a move that's going to help bolster their current roster around Dame. And yet they continue to stand by this um this unwillingness to trade Damian Lillard either and just like get ready for the future. So that's fine with me. Like it's okay to go just be kind of mediocre and like, just be the eighth seed in the West or whatever. Like, I I mean, I'm not, who am I to tell you, like, don't go lose in the first round, but it seems like they're just headed for that. And I don't really, you know, I, I don't know. Like maybe they're just sort of, they're giving themselves insurance for the future by like trading heart for a first rounder. Um, but like, yeah, it just sort of seems like you're, you're kind of, kind of just stuck in the middle here. Shifting over to the other moves out West, uh, there's a three team swap, the Houston Rockets getting Danny green, the Memphis Grizzlies getting Luke Kennard and the Los Angeles Clippers getting Eric Gordon, three seconds and a pick swap. I think this was a great move for the Grizzlies. I think yeah. Luke Kennard is one of the best shooters in the league. And I think Memphis seems to, you know, get the best out of those kind of guys. Um, he mm-hmm. is not a good defender. Hopefully, you know, the likes of Jaron Jackson Jr. will will help recover that. Uh, the Houston Rockets, they get Dan Green. I think they also get John Wall. I'm pretty sure that's true. They did, which, but which he's is, also going to get know, bought out. Yeah. Is I, that hope this he gets, I really, really hope he gets bought out. Because yeah. like after his comments like about a, yeah, <laughs> he had like he had a terrible time there, was very vocal, and like part of like you know, he he had like a very moving article in the in the players' tribune about how he had like like really, really dark times, uh partly in partly because of injury, but also like in Houston. Uh so that's that's like kind of mean to trade him yeah. uh back to the Rockets. So I hope I hope he gets bought out. Um but I think, I think the, he the main, will. Yeah. I think I think one of him and Westbrook is going to Clippers, and the other is probably going to the Heat. I mean, what? Like he would get traded from the Clippers just to sign right back. So John Wall is probably going to the Heat if <laughs> if they don't get Westbrook, and Westbrook is probably going to Clippers. That's my impression. That, that, that would, yeah, that would, that would make sense to me. Uh, and the Clippers getting Eric Gordon. It's been so long since we've seen him play competitive basketball, but I think. That, that yeah. would be a good move. That that I think he'll be another weapon for them as well. Hundred um, percent. I'm a little confused to be honest about, like, you know, in theory, Luke Kennard is an awesome fit on the Grizzlies, and I'm super excited about it. In theory, he's also an excellent fit on the Clippers. So I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what the disconnect is, and like why it didn't work out on the Clippers that like all of a sudden he's available at this deadline. Because um, like you said, flamethrower, one of the best shooters in the league. Um, and my gut tells me like it's good for Memphis. So like I'm not sure why um the Clippers are sort of willing to sell on him, even though you get a player in Eric Gordon who I think definitely helps um also just like as a shooter and, and wing and wing wing vet. Let's sort of probably do a little more off the dribble. I think that, that might be my guess. Um I, I would love to just, you know, cover two teams that were in a lot of rumors that didn't end up doing really anything or it be being the Miami heat or didn't sell like everyone thought they would like the Toronto Raptors. Uh, there, the amount of OG and Anobi rumors yeah. was insane. I just read a report right now from Zach Lowe saying that the Grizzlies and the Pacers each offered three first rounders for OG and Anobi, And the Raptors said no, because they wanted a player as well. Um, which, in my opinion, that might be the peak of his trade value. Maybe not. I know you're yeah. a massive OG Ananobi guy. Uh, if you're a longtime <laughs> listener of the podcast, you know Connor Flannery has picked OG Ananobi for most improved player three times, three different seasons, yeah. I believe. I mean, at some point, it became a meme. Um, yeah, but 
you know, it was sort of before I really understood what the most improved player award was in the sense that it's not, it doesn't actually just go to the most improved player, it just goes to the guy who is like pretty good and all of a sudden he's an all-star. Um, but yeah, OG Ananobi is, is I understand why he's got that kind of trade value. And to me, like there's no reason the Raptors should be willing to trade him unless the offer is like so good that, that they have to sell on him. But like, to me, if there are guys on your roster that you shouldn't be willing to trade, like obviously one is Scotty Barnes. Like they have to ride it out with Scotty Barnes and see what happens. Two might be OG and Anobi, like, but but also Pascal Siakam. The one that the one that you know, unless you were absolutely blown away with the trade the the trade offers for OG and Anobi, which I would argue three first round picks might might count as such. Um is Fred Van Vliet. Uh, he was the other, he was the only other one on the Raptors that I was sort of thinking was likely going to get traded and, and didn't. Um, so like you said, the heat, eerily quiet, the, uh, the Raptors kind of quiet aside from the Jakob Pertl trade um, from the Spurs gave up Ken Birch and a 2024 protected first along with two seconds. Um, and then the Chicago Bulls also did absolutely nothing. All three teams that felt like they had to sort of make a decision one way or the other at this deadline, like the Chicago Bulls, who had sort of been on a slide at one point, it, it felt like they were kind of hitting the panic button and like we're about to just like Zach Levine could be a Nick or, you know, like Nikola Vucevic was going to be gone so they could like try to buy something else. Um, none of it came together. So that was in a trade deadline that was full of surprises and full of huge blockbusters and a lot of excitement. These are the three sort of like disappointing things to me is like, I would have liked three of these three teams to do something. Last thing to hit on before we wrap it up, the phenomenon of trading three, four or five second round picks as a package was just so prolific yesterday. And so odd because that looks like, you know, what I was doing in 2K16 to, <laughs> you know, just... not have to throw in a first round pick. I'll just give you yeah. four seconds and we'll call it a day. Um, but that that happened a lot yesterday. Um, there was, you know, five seconds in the Kevin Knox deal, uh, five seconds for Gary Payton. I think four for Jay Crowder. The Bucks gave up four for Jay Crowder. I think it was, um, I think it was five total and three went to one team and two yeah. went to the other. But the the long story short is like, it's so hard to follow what was going on with all these second round picks. The one that I was able to track down and the one there was five second round picks that were passed around like three times was I thought this was the was sort of like the most interesting uh like little sequence of the day was so the Blazers wanted so the Warriors wanted to trade Wiseman for Gary Payton a second, basically. The Blazers don't want Wiseman, so the Warriors are like, okay, like we have to go find something else that we can flip for Gary Payton. So they go to the Pistons. The Pistons give the Warriors Sadiq Bay and Kevin Knox for James Wiseman. The Warriors decide they're going to keep Kevin Knox, but flip Sadiq Bay to Atlanta for five second round picks. And along the way, Atlanta also had to dump two second round picks along with Justin Holiday and Frank Kaminsky to free up the salary space to make this trade happen. So basically Atlanta had to trade five second round picks to get Sadiq Bay and also dump off two second round picks just to clear up the cap space. So it was kind of like seven second round picks for Sadiq Bay coming from <laughs> Atlanta here. But then once the Warriors had those five second round picks from Atlanta for Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman, they finally got Gary Payton the second who was returning to Golden State after, um, after the Trailblazers gave him a contract that I guess the Warriors like weren't willing to match. Wild what stuff. What a sequence. What a like sequence. I, as it was all coming through on Twitter, I was having trouble following, but I've been able to sort of piece it back. Such an <laughs> interesting case. I think in, in second round picks, when you have like Sadiq Bay being worth five second round picks, um, and then the Spurs gave up four second round picks or sorry, the Spurs got four second round picks and Devontae Graham for Josh Richardson. And that seems like that was probably a salary move because Josh Richardson's on an expiring deal worth 12 million, but this but Devontae Graham's on a four year forty seven million dollar deal. So probably like 
you're giving up for the four seconds in part um, to get Josh Richardson, but also in part to dump Devontae Graham's salary if you're the Pelicans. But then you only get two second-round picks for Bones Highland as the Nuggets, which a lot of people said wasn't enough. So I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but to me, it was a really puzzling day. And like, what is the value of a second-round pick? Because they're just being tossed around like, you know, like crazy. I don't know. Yeah. And so looking forward, uh, the buyout market should be interesting. Older point guards are, you know, flowing like water. Uh, Russell Westbrook, (laughs) John Wall, Patrick Beverly, perhaps. Um, I think any team which has their eye on the Larry O'Brien trophy would take a good, hard, long look at any of those guys. uh, And we'll keep you updated with with all that stuff. Yeah, it was it was an interesting deadline. I'm I'm glad we have the chance to recap it. First episode in a while, but hopefully we'll be back with another one soon. It's been a yeah. It's been a, it's been a really fun uh, week, you know, starting with this Kyrie Irving trade and that kind of set everything else in motion. But um, it all came together fast right at the last kind of couple hours. And I was talking to my friends and we had the argument of what like what's the best day of the year. And one of my friends, because because one of my friends immediately was like. After I have to tread line, he's like, this was the best day of the year. This is the best day of basketball of the year. And immediately somebody else was like, dude, you're forgetting about the first day of March Madness. Yeah, so. yeah that, that's the answer. That's the, yeah. the first day of March Madness is the answer. The first two days. So those are like my high holidays, man. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, it, it was a it was a basketball holiday yesterday yeah. at 3 p.m. Um, per Woj right now in real time, uh, Anthony Edwards Pascal Siakam and De'Aaron Fox are now all all stars because there needs to be replacement for Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Zion Williamson, who are going to be missing the all-star game due to injury. So great for them. Anthony Edwards, Pascal, or Anthony Edwards and De'Aaron Fox are first-time all-stars. They both really deserved it. Uh, And Pascal, it was kind of a crime that he wasn't in there in the first place, um, which is great as well. I don't know off the top of my head who the guys who are still snubbed, like double snubbed, were. But those I think seem like it was good like, picks. Yeah, I think I think technically Devin Booker didn't make it, but uh, you know he's had a bunch of injury issues. I think Anthony Davis, same thing. Yeah. I think Trey Young. Oh my god, and James Harden. James Harden's still not being an All Star. That's a little ridiculous too. Yeah. Um. Ugh. Yeah. That 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 bugs me. Um, that's that's anyways, grossing me out a little bit. Yeah. The, the one thing I'll say is like, as a as a little anecdote is like, it is poor criteria to me that Zion, Devin Booker and Anthony Davis all played around the same number of games and Zion made the all-star game but Anthony Davis and Devin Booker did not. Um, Agreed. To me it's like if you're going to let one in um, and the only argument against the other two is games played like you have to either let all three in or none of the three in. Agreed. Um, Zion got in via the fan vote, so that could be part of it. Yeah, uh, he was an all-star starter because of that. Um, but I agree. And then, like, if you look at the the minutes played, uh, Jaron Jackson has played like the same amount of game, or has played like basically the same amount of minutes as Anthony Davis. Yeah, uh, which is a little a little ridiculous in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm anyways, with you on that. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Space the Floor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. We're on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. And we're on Instagram at Space the Floor Podcast and Twitter at Space the Floor. And thank you so much. My name is Connor Geeland. And I'm Connor Flannery. And see you guys next time. Peace.